0: Alright, so it's been a few days since Derek Jeter announced his retirement from the Yankees, from baseball, from our lives, uh, and uh, on his Facebook page, and now it's been a couple of days since he actually addressed uh, that Facebook post with the media in person for the first time, and joining me today to talk about uh, Derek Jeter, among other things, is John Jastrzemski of WFAN. John, how's it going today?
1: What's happening, Neil? Good to hear from you, bud, and yes, the uh, news of Derek Jeter retiring certainly Very sad day last week for all the Yankee fans out there, coming to the realization that the end is here for Derek Jeter in 2014. And I'll be honest, it's a day I never imagined because you just assumed Jeter was going to play until he was like 55 years of age. And I can say officially, Neil, the minute Jeter plays his last game with the Yankees, I will feel like an old man. (laughs) Let's
0: just put it that way. <laughs> well I feel like I feel like we should already feel like old men because we were at elementary school uh when he became the starting shortstop of the Yankees and now you know being in the mid to going late 20s here uh he's still the starting shortstop and it just seemed like you said like he was going to be that guy, you know, top of the order, starting at shortstop forever and you just it sort of feels fake and uh, surreal that he's not going to be there at this time next year.
1: Yeah, it really is. And I know last year was very tough for Jeter. Coming back from the ankle injury, he gets back, he has a setback. Then he ends up coming back right around the all-star break and he's having problems with his calves and he's having problems with his hamstrings. And It was just a nightmarish season for Jeter. And I think, honestly, Neil, he just wants to go out there here in 2014, have a banner year, go out with a bang, and that will be the end of it. So, to me, I think Jeter realizes that maybe there's not that much left as far as gas in the tank, as far as his career is concerned. But if he can go out there and deliver another big time year, it would not shock me in the least. bit.
0: no, I agree. And he got asked, you know, the questions about if he if he, this was his last season because he ran out of gas, and he said that he felt like he had more than just one baseball season left in him. But obviously, uh, there's other endeavors, uh, other things in his personal life, wanting to have a family that are, you know, being the focal point now as he hits 40 years old this summer. Uh, but like you mentioned last year, he only appears in 17 games, misses most of the season. And it reminds me of what happened with Mariano two years ago, where he missed most of the season. It sort of gave Yankee fans, um, you know, like myself, like you, a glimpse of what life would be like without Mariano. You you knew he was going to come back, but it's still set in that, you know, this is kind of weird without him there. Uh, we got the same feeling now with Jeter, so we know what it's like without him, but since he was at the stadium all the time, since he was always in the dugout, even though he wasn't able to play, it was almost like you know a joke that he couldn't get in the games. It didn't really set in that he won't be there. So I just don't really know how to, how to grasp what it's going to be like when there's no more Derek Jeter, when he finally can't come back into a game.
1: Yeah, and it's really, when you think about it, Neil, the end of an era. To this group of Yankee fans, with this era of Yankee baseball, the end of Jeter, Rivera, Pettit, Posada... Williams all of the links to the championship years of this Yankee team from 96 to 2000 are going to be gone here at the end of next year and that's something that's just really hard to imagine you don't think of this Yankee team within the last 20 years or so at least having one two three four and even more of those guys over the years and now that all of those guys are going to be gone it is amazing to sit at least.
0: With Jeter leaving and Mariano gone, Pettit already gone, Posada gone, uh, the homegrown element sort of is pretty much gone. And the longest tenured Yankees now after Jeter are, are Gardner and Robertson, who came uh, up back to back days in 08. So I, th- I feel like the way that we watch games as fans, fans of the Yankees, is going to change drastically because once Jeter leaves, I mean, A Rod, you know, whatever happens with him, even if, let's say, he doesn't come back, because it doesn't look like as of now, you know, he might not. Um, this is a team now built around other people's talent, other people's draft picks. And just free agents. And now it's sort of, it doesn't have that same feel. So I wonder, is it going to change the way you watch a game in 2015?
1: I don't know if it's necessarily going to change the way I would watch a game, Neil, but I'll say this. You don't have the same sort of connection to a player that you've watched the minute he started his career, game one, year one, whatever his rookie year may be. You're not going to have that with this group of Yankees moving forward. Ellsbury, you may like them but he played a majority of his career with the Red Sox. McCann, I think he's going to be a rock star behind the plate. I think he's going to be a terrific Yankee catcher. But this is a guy who played a lot of his career with the Atlanta Braves, Teixeira, Beltron, On and on we go. The Yankees have turned in to that mercenary unit here. And even not having Robinson Cano, Cano was at least a lot of people thought going to be the placeholder to take the torch from Derek Jeter, and now he's not even here because he's a member of the Seattle Mariners. So yes, the Yankees, moving forward here, they spent a lot of money, they did a lot of good things, but when you really think about it, Neil, this, to me, really just tightens the urgency as far as their minor league system has got to go out there and start to develop some players who can contribute at the big league level.
0: No, I agree, and that brings me to my next point about uh, Cashman being on with Francesa uh, yesterday and talking about um, things similar to what we're talking about and you know he, he questioned him on the infield the question marks in the infield the question marks in the bullpen and Cashman obviously he's going to want to downplay his expectations for anyone especially guys coming off injury because he doesn't want to go out there and you know guarantee great years from guys and have it backfire on him but he didn't seem overly optimistic if anything he seems sort of pessimistic um, he compared the infield situation this year to what we went through last year where you know the Yankees might be looking for backup guys off the waiver wire or people getting released late in spring training uh, sort of like a Lyle over situation situation and you know i've been building confidence all offseason thinking that uh this yankee team was going to be good this yankee team could turn things around maybe do what the red sox did uh from 2012 to 2013 um and cashman sort of you know hit me back into reality today i know going back to last year at this time you know when i was talking to you when the players were dropping like flies in spring training and you're telling me this team's gonna stink we're gonna have the worst summer and i didn't really want to believe it Uh, you know, we've got a better summer than we thought we would because they were sort of in the race for a while. But what's your feeling on this Yankee team now 40 days out of opening day?
1: Well, I think they're a more talented team than what they were a year ago. There's no doubt about that. You bring in McCain, you bring in Ellsbury, you bring in Beltran. That all being said, questions up and down the rotation. Sabathia, is he going to be the guy from two years ago or is he going to be the pitcher we saw last year who pitched to the – of a five-year right. Kuroda, is he going to be able to withstand 162 games? Tanaka, his first year in the big leagues, what is he going to be able to give you? There are questions up and down the rotation. Robertson, we know, is a terrific setup, end, but how will he do handling the ninth inning for the first time in his big league career? And then you deal with the health of the age of this Yankee lineup, and then you throw in the fact that second base is a question, third base is a question. The Yankees, to me, Neil, can be anywhere from about an 86-win team, to a 95-96 win team. The question is, what of those questions are going to be answered? Which questions are going to be answered? And if you figure out an answer to that, if more of those questions are answered, Yankees will be quite all right. If they aren't answered, then they may be in the same predicament they were in last year.
0: In the infield, when Cashman was asked about uh, these backup roles and you know what would happen at third base, the platoon with Kelly Johnson, he didn't have an answer for who the guy would be, the right-handed uh, guy in that platoon. Um, he's sort of begging on Jeter and Teixeira to be themselves. Uh, Brian Roberts at second base, coming off you know another injury-plagued season, um, and then he was asked about what's going to happen at first base if for some reason Teixeira gets hurt for an extended period of time, and you know his answer was sort of. They didn't really have an answer for it And uh, uh, there's replacements Obviously, you know, maybe guys they can Work out here in spring training, maybe someone Sticks, uh, maybe someone has a great March, but um, an interesting Idea was working out Ichiro At first base because he sort of fell into this fifth Outfield spot, and I would say that if there's Someone you could trust to take over A new position at that age, uh, you know With his strengths in this game and, and with his baseball IQ, I think that It wouldn't be that outside the box, I mean they tried to do This eight years ago with uh, Gary Sheffield with that mess in 06, but you know maybe Ichiro becomes a sort of backup utility guy uh, for first base.
1: I don't think it's a crazy idea because you're going to need to have a role for Ichiro. Currently, I don't know exactly what his role is going to be here because Ellsbury's a guy if he's healthy, he's playing every day. Gardner is playing every day. You look at Beltran, he is a guy who's going to play every day. Then Soriano's going to be your DH most likely. So to me, there's not going to be a lot of at-bats for Ichiro suzuki Neil unless they can work out some sort of role where well, maybe he does play a little bit of first base. But I think a prevailing problem, or lack thereof, I guess you could say, something this Yankees team can ill afford to have happen here again this year, Mark DeSher has got to play. They need Mark DeSher to go out there, play 145 games, 150 games, even if his batting average is going to be 250, 260. Go out there, eat 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, and play that solid gold glove defense at first base. The Yankee team missed that drastically last year. They need to share to be healthy.
0: And with that, I think health is a big concern, obviously, efforts-based at shortstop. And, and to me, the biggest, the most underrated, under-the-radar guy here with health concerns is Pineda because, you know, when they originally got him two years ago, he was slotted as a, a first or second guy at the front end of the rotation for this foreseeable future at 23 years old. Uh, now he's 25. He obviously hasn't pitched in the majors since September of uh, 2011. But, you know, this guy, and, and we're well off. We still have, you know, six weeks left of spring training, and there's plenty of time for something to go wrong. But, to me, this guy you know, could step in. He could answer a lot of questions for the Yankees if he could be you know, even remotely close to what he was in that one season with the Mariners.
1: Yeah, no question. And to me, Neil, when you look and you handicap the fifth starter spot for this Yankee team, you want to see Michael Pineda go out there and take the bull by its horn and be this team's fifth starter. Because twofold, you mentioned the upside, you mentioned the potential here of Michael Pineda. That's for starters. But number two, this Yankee bullpen, is not what it's been in years past. Robertson's in the ninth inning. Mariano Rivera's gone. So you working all of those factors here. To me, I would like to see a guy like David Phelps, who's shown versatility, can play that Ramiro Mendoza-type role, if you will, I'd like to see Phelps be in that Yankee bullpen. Makes a lot of sense to me.
0: I think that Phelps sh- should probably be in that bullpen role, given given the versatility he has. Um, sticking with the rotation, though, you know, last year you mentioned CC how bad of a year he had. Uh, the twenty eight home runs, the near five ERA, led the league in earned runs. Corota um, sort of fell apart at the end of the year, winless in his last uh, you know eight eight or whatever starts after August twelfth. Uh, pitched to like a, almost a seven ERA over the last six weeks of the season. Uh, Nova. Is, is really another guy who's a big question mark. Obviously, we don't know what we can expect here out of Tanaka yet, but with Nova, for as bad as he was you know, in, t- in 2012 down the stretch in the middle of that summer, and as bad as he started last season, he sort of went down, fixed his problems in AAA, came back up, and was a front-end of the rotation guy again in the sort of the way that he was in 2011 entering the postseason. So to me, Nova's a big guy where a lot of things in the rotation hinge on him, and uh, if he can step up and give us what he gave us last year, then m- maybe some of these things
1: get worked out. Yeah, Nova, you don't know what you're gonna get. Because last year, Neil, when he was called up, he did a terrific job for the Yankees in the rotation. He really did. He was arguably their best pitcher in the second half of the year. But is he gonna be that guy? Or is he gonna be the guy we saw two years ago where he was just downright awful? That along with Sabathia, along with Tanaka, along with Kuroda, there are a lot of questions. I don't know if you can say definitively one way or another, that the Yankees rotation is going to be a surefire lock to succeed because there are legit questions about every guy top to bottom in that rotation
0: and i think last year being the rotation and, and the way things went and as bad as things went for them i i know we've talked about this in the past but i compare it to to what happened with the red Sox. you know they came off 2012 93 losses they needed you know they needed lester to turn around they needed buckholz to turn around they needed lackey to turn around i mean they needed their entire t- rotation to turn around along with their free agents to produce um, and role players to chip in and it seems like everything sort of fell in place for them and they needed i think more things to happen than the yankees did and you look what they did so to me it, this Yankees team, you know, there's a lot of criticism built around it because of the money they spent through free agency and the age and and the veteran presence on the team. But in this system now, the the five team format that you love that, you know, I sort of grew to love last year because it gave us a summer, um, you know, it's going to be really hard for this team to be out of the mix no matter what it is, whether it's the division or one of the wild card spots. When you think about last year's team made it to game 158 with Lyle Overbay and Vernon Wells hitting fourth and fifth a lot, you think that this team's at least Going to be in the mix come uh, you know the end of the season.
1: Oh no doubt. Anything less than a postseason birth meal this season would be an out disaster. That would be an absolute failure. That would be an embarrassment to the Yankee franchise to spend all of this money to make all of these moves. Bare minimum, this Yankee team better be at the least bit playing in the wild card game. And I agree with you. I think when you handicapped in the division, everything went as well as it could possibly go. And B for the Boston Red Sox, everything. Every question mark, every hole they had, you thought, going into the year, it was filled, it was answered every which way. And Boston, you have to think it's going to regress a little bit here. Baltimore, what is their starting rotation going to look like? The Rays, how are they going to be able to score runs? Toronto, they were a disaster last year. So there's a lot of questions up and down the division. So to me, is it crazy to say the Yankees can go out there and Win the American League East, so not in the
0: least bit. <laughs> well, I know, you know, the Yankees, we still got six weeks, a little less than six weeks to go until they open up in Houston against the Astros, but uh, so we've got some, a while till meaningful games, but uh, one of your teams is playing meaningful games right now, and that's Syracuse coming off that tough loss against BC the other night, so I mean, how much did that one hurt? Oh, you had to home? Home. go there,
1: didn't you, Neil? You just, <laughs> you had to go there. With the, uh, that was a brutal loss my I to Syracuse. And I've been on record, Neil, a lot of people have, called me crazy over the last couple weeks. I didn't want Syracuse to go undefeated going into the NCAA tournament. I thought it would just be unnecessary pressure that they simply did not need, but never in a million years did I think that Syracuse at home with their winning streak on the line here at Dome, would go out there and lose to a Boston College team that is just downright awful. And the hope for Syracuse that has been playing with fire here over the last couple weeks, pulling games out of their rear end at the end You hope that this is almost a wake-up call for them as they get ready for the month of March.
0: Well, that's the thing. I feel like people make you know a, a big deal, and certainly it's a loss to a bad team at home and one you don't expect. But to go undefeated is just a ridiculous idea, anyway. And, and one like you said that adds adds more pressure once the tournament comes. And if they go on to win this whole thing, that one loss doesn't really matter. So um, you know it's going to get overplayed over these next few days until they play Duke again. But like you said, playing with fire, the last few wins they had just by a couple points, uh, are, are they starting to you know lose it down the stretch? Are they starting to fatigue, or is that you know this just The grind of playing a full season and winning so many games in a row?
1: I think it's part of the grind, but I also think they have some legitimate concerns. Offensively, they have struggled to score the basketball, and it's their point guard, Tyler Ennis, has been terrific. But Syracuse does not have a lot of outside shooting, and they do not have a lot of guys on this team who can get to the bucket at will. They probably have about two or three that you legitimately trust. And you throw in the fact that Trevor Cooney is not going to go out there and knock down some three-pointers, Syracuse can have some some, some trouble going out there and scoring. And I think we've seen that here over the last couple games, and the result has been Syracuse has been down to the wire in a bunch of these games, and they have been lucky enough to prevail more often than not, but they finally got bit, if you will, by the Boston College Eagles. And that's something I never in a million years thought was going to happen, but We'll see Syracuse has some tough games coming up over the next couple of weeks. At Duke on Saturday, at Virginia, who's tied with them as far as leading the ACC. So some tough games abound here as the Chief gets ready for the NCAA tournament and the ACC tournament down in Greensboro within the next couple of weeks.
0: And, you know, just a week ago when they have that miraculous win against Pitt, the 58-56 win, I mean, at that point, you know, that's as big of a regular season win as you can have to keep an undefeated season alive. Did you think at that point that, you know, maybe this was going to be the year where they can run the table?
1: No, honestly, Neil, I didn't. I really, I never got the feel that they were going to go out there and finish this season and ACC conference play undefeated, mainly because I looked at the schedule over the next couple weeks, the game at Duke, the game in Virginia, they have a road game against Maryland. There were a couple of tough roadblocks there where I said to myself, sooner or later, Syracuse is going to find a way to lose one of these games. So was I stunned that they lost the game? Did I ever get the feel that this was going to be an undefeated season? No, I really didn't because it's just way too hard to do. When you think about it, being in conference like the ACC, it's just very difficult to go cover-to-cover, wire-to-wire, and go undefeated.
0: And how do you like being in the ACC this first year? You're going to miss I'm sure you're going to miss the, uh, the tournament and MSG and all that in a couple of
1: weeks. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I am going to miss the Big East Tournament significantly. Now, that all being said, if you get a Duke-Syracuse ACC Championship game, that's going to be awesome stuff. If you get Carolina-Cuse and Pittsburgh-Duke and some terrific matchups, I'll be into the games, no doubt. But the spotlight of MSG playing here in our backyard at Madison Square Garden, the Big East Tournament was as good as the Cats. And, listen, the Big East Tournament this year, with a lot of those schools being out of the equation, it is not going to have the same feel it's had in years past. It's just not. When you don't have a Louisville there, when you don't have a Syracuse there, when you don't have a Pittsburgh there, no knock on the schools you have, Creighton, Villanova, St. John's, Xavier. I mean, if those are going to be your big-time schools here this season, it just shows you the Big East is not what it was.
0: And barring a you know any sort of collapse here down the stretch, they're they're going to be the one seed East region, probably the number one overall seed in the whole tournament. Uh, a heavy favorite, you know, they're going to be the, the team that all the the casual fans across the country pencil in to go all the way in the office pools. Are you a homer when it comes to filling out the bragging? Is this you know are, are you filling them out all the way or at least to the final four just because you know you're an alum there or, or because they're that good?
1: No, I'm usually pretty objective. Like last year, I had Syracuse losing. In, I want to say either the Sweet 16 of the Elite 8. It was either to Indiana or I had them maybe losing to Miami in the Elite 8. I'm not exactly sure where I had them projected. A couple of years ago, I thought they were Final 14. I had them in the Final 4 in my bracket. Then I got word that Fat Mello was going to be suspended, if you remember, for the entire yeah, that NCAA tournament. That,
0: that destroyed me.
1: Well, I amended the bracket, thankfully, Neil, where it was. It, if you remember, that happened on like a Monday or a Tuesday. I got word of that, and I ended up yanking Qs, and I put Ohio State in the Final Four. I still think I had Syracuse going to the Elite Eight or whatever. They were in one seed regardless, but yeah, I'm usually pretty fair. I, I'm going to be honest. Since I've been attending Syracuse, I don't think I've ever, in filling out NCAA brackets, picked them to win it all. I've picked them in the Final Four a couple of times, but I've never gone out there and picked them to win it all. I haven't seen a bracket yet. I haven't filled out a bracket yet, and we've still got another month, Neil, so you're gonna to have to check back with me come middle end of March and I can tell you for the first time in my life I am gonna pick cues to uh bring home the national championship.
0: Wow. And it doesn't you know, it doesn't surprise me going back a few years with the fat bell incident that you put that you put Ohio State in there, uh for your doppelganger Aaron Kraft there.
1: Yes, listen, Krafty and I obviously get the comparisons. Although <laughs> lately, with me growing out the hair a little bit more, I don't know if I'm gonna get the same sort of comparisons when I don't got the buzz cut rocking, but I, that Ohio State team a couple of years ago was really good with Kraft and Jared Bellinger, and they are not the same Ohio State team that has been really highly regarded over the last couple of years. Not the same old for Ohio State here this season.
0: Well, I know, uh, you know you've know you got your basketball to watch here. Uh, the NHL's on a break. I'm sure you don't really get kicked into that mode until uh, down the stretch for the Rangers and the playoff start. But there's a lot of NBA on Sunday to tune into. But uh, you might want to tune into that gold medal game. If the U.S. can get by Canada
1: tomorrow, I'm sure you'll be uh, plugged into that. Well, listen, Neil, I'll be into the game tomorrow. I'll be into the United States and Canada at high noon. It's a perfect time for me. I'm doing the... Uh, Show here tonight from the late evening, so I'll be able to wake up, get some breakfast, get some coffee, <laughs> maybe hit the gym either before or after, and make sure I'm locked in for USA and Canada. I will say this I'm hosting the overnight at Fan Saturday and Sunday, so I'm going to have to either make the conscientious decision to stay up and watch the game wire to wire, or maybe I will shut the phone off, do a little DVR action, stay off Twitter and watch the game around 1 o'clock or so. so that's, that's, that's tough to do. That's a decision I tough will have to, do. to make down the line. Very tough. You've got to be really committed to do that. But Just, I mean, I, look-
0: I woke up uh, for U.S.-Russia, and I was about 30 minutes behind because I had DVR'd it. So I was about 30 minutes behind, and you know, the, even that little of a time difference is hard to do. So I couldn't imagine doing it you know, once the final result is is already made uh, you know, has already been happened.
1: Oh, it's really tough to do. And I've done it before with Yankee games or... Syracuse games, whatever the case may be, but staying off Twitter, telling people not to text you, it is, you've got to be really committed to doing it. Let's just put it that way.
0: <laughs> How often? I mean, I, I feel like with all these overnights, uh, you know, I feel like you don't sleep that much. It seems like you pull these 24 hour shifts uh, staying awake frequently.
1: Yeah, it, I do, especially when you throw in the uh, Summer League, Men's League baseball games when I'm playing at like 9 o'clock after doing a show till 6. I'll usually just bite the bullet and stay up right through 9 or 11. Then hopefully my bats won't suffer third, fourth time through the order. Let's just put it that way. But, um, I mean, all in all, I try to, like, on a football Sunday, I will never DVR games. I will make sure, even if I'm working till 6, I'll make sure my rear end's up by about 12.45. So I still have time to uh, make a little Starbucks run and get back right to the kickoff of the 1 o'clock game.
0: I was going to let you go there but you brought up football Sunday which brings me to the next thing about the, you know the dolphin situation now that all these text messages have been released uh that that those are your fins there and what do you make of this uh the entire bullying situation now that we've sort of have all the evidence out there
1: Well, listen, obviously Richie Incognito and members of that offensive line are going to look very poor. There's no other way around it. They did not exactly distinguish themselves with their behavior, let's put it that way, but I also think you've got to look at Jonathan Martin and say he's part to blame as well, because he was unable to rise above this culture. Clearly, he has a history of just not being stable to a certain degree when you think about it. I mean, he obviously was affected in an adverse way by guys like Incognito and Mike Pouncey know, and on and on we go. But I think you look at this situation, obviously the Dolphins, by not nipping it in the butt and not handling it with their organization as a whole, they look awful. Philbin, you could say what you want. He would have stopped it if he knew what was going on. But you could also say, it's your team. You better have a pulse of what's going on. And then last but not least, to me, if you look at Incognito more than any one of these guys, here's my question to me, for you, Neil. I wouldn't want any of these guys on my team. I really wouldn't. I wouldn't want to have Incognito, but I also wouldn't want to have Jonathan Moore.
0: As a Giants fan, it doesn't, uh, doesn't really make sense for me to even answer that because I feel like the Giants, no matter what the distraction is, you know, they, they shy away from players like that.
1: Yeah, it's not worth the aggravation. Uh, Incognito is the guy in the the streets and the schoolyards who's going to go out and steal your lunch money. That's the type of guy he's been throughout his entire life, throughout his entire career. and That's why I think this whole bullying aspect, I don't think he even realized what he was doing was so vile and disgusting. And listen, if I'm Jonathan Martin, you're saying those things about me. I could be 155 pounds and a skinny twig. I'm getting in your face. I'm saying something because you gotta have some sort of pride. You gotta have some sort of like manhood, if you will. And I know that's easy to say, Neil, but I don't know about you. I would never in a million years let someone get away with talking to me in that sort of tone and expecting to go along with it and let it continue.
0: No, I agree, and you know, it's good to hear you talk about the Dolphins, because we haven't talked in a long time now on the podcast, and uh, you know, I sort of missed talking to you during their end-of-the-year collapse there when, you know, all they needed was a couple wins over some pretty bad teams, and they couldn't get them.
1: Yeah, don't remind me. That was <laughs> certainly a rough two weeks uh, at the end of regular season. I'm thinking that maybe my team couldn't be in the playoffs for the first time since 8 the big win over the Steelers, the big win over the Patriots, but yes, yeah, the last two games of the regular season, I have tried to... Blanked them out of my memory let's just put it that way
0: <laughs> all right john well we got a lot coming up here you got syracuse uh, taking you through march right up until opening day so um as long as they stay alive in march madness before yankees baseball starts i'm sure we'll talk again over the next month
1: yes yeah, neil my pleasure buddy i appreciate it let's do it again soon all right all right thanks again john all right neil